This is 3P Theory, the podcast for AEC professionals seeking to elevate their knowledge on green building strategies and practical design collaboration for sustainable mindsets, bringing you changemakers, innovators, and sustainable leaders who have positively impacted the industry. It's time to get inspired, motivated, and fired up to take action towards a greener planet. Here's your host, Mike Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 3P Theory. Today, I have a a really great guest here that's going to be joining us to talk about water and what we can do to be efficient with water. Pete Baldwin with Hydrotech is going to be talking to us about providing some innovative water solutions and water management technologies and services that help improve water quality while also conserving it. Their solutions reduce operating costs of water, energy, and chemistry, which is validated with automated data collection, and property portfolios are analyzed to optimize water, energy, and even maintenance schedules. So it's really great to have you here today with us, and I know our our listeners are really eager to kind of understand for, I guess, a topic that isn't as seen as important as energy in many cases, and it's probably more so geographic, right, Uh, based on where those projects and facilities are located, and obviously the cost of water. So really glad to have you here today and look forward to learning more. Well, thank you. I'm sure glad to be here. This is something I've looked forward to. Awesome. Well, I guess just start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the the world of water, I guess. Well, it began early. My dad was a a crop scientist and an earth scientist before it became popular. So we're always out looking at things. And water was something that he always emphasized was so important because lack of or too much is bad but uh, also just uh, water quality. And I ended up getting a degree in environmental management back in the early 80s when there were only two programs in the U.S., Vanderbilt and here in what's now called Texas State. Mm-hmm. And so I got a, an environmental management degree and worked on the Edwards Aquifer. And this was, to date myself, as I said, the 80s, but we didn't have computers then because it was punch cards. And so <laughs> we did a lot of manual data collection uh, depth, water quality, uh, movement of water. And it it was quite a mystery of how big the aquifer was, and it's very large. So we would take a lot of readings and collect the data and put it on paper maps. And now, obviously, fast forward, we're doing massive data collection of all kinds of things, water included, and the maps are extremely complicated, and, and it's good. So I've migrated through the water business, groundwater was uh, my first company I started was uh, groundwater remediation. Did a lot of work on that and worked through environmental consulting and um, worked a lot of international roles for oil and gas and energy environmental consulting. And that involved a lot of water. And so when I was with uh, CH2M Hill, I worked internationally and led their oil and gas group worldwide uh, for environment. And um, took a special interest in water as my next step because of I retired at a young age from there and looked on to what my career ought to be. I really like technology, data management, and I looked at the water business and saw that in the commercial space, uh, buildings, they don't really even manage water very actively. So I saw a market for automated data collection and water technologies that reduce water consumption, put them together. And ultimately where we are now is I've put together a service. So it's like software as a service. We are water conservation as a service. 
for commercial buildings. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Because a lot of people wouldn't think that you could you could really do that with water, and here you are, kind of being able to shape and I guess put together a structure or a framework that you know business owners and facilities can use to optimize their operations. So um, yeah, they don't often look at water as they do energy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, many many times, and I, I see it all the time. And I'm, and I'm thinking more so on the irrigation side of you know all the wasted water that you see when they've got broken sprinkler heads and things of that nature. And, you know, some of these facilities are huge. And so there could be a lot of opportunities and, you know, just unforeseen opportunities in many cases where they can tap into how to optimize and really reduce usage for some of this processed water, right? That's right. So within the commercial realm, there's a lot of different property types that use cooling towers and things of that nature. Well, and just consume water in general. What would you feel is the number one thing that building owners could do to be able to reduce water consumption? I think the best thing that could be done is to install submeters uh, for water volume management and sensors for water quality. Most buildings look at at their water bill as a way of managing their water. So that's last month's news <laughs> on a water bill. Yeah. Now they could have leaks. They lay the dollar sure. <laughs> they are. It's amazing that they would have thousands of sensors for building and energy management optimization. And if you look at a building automation system or building management system, when I'm in presentations or I talk to people, I'll ask them, uh, certainly do you have one? Yes, of course. Well, how many data points cover water? Zero. They just don't do it. And and it's natural in many ways because the price of water's been pretty low traditionally. There's always that three-way kind of a triangle where there's the, the cost of water, there's the price of water, and then there's the value. Well, if you're running a building, you're looking at your net operating income and it's the price. Yeah. And so by putting in sensors, there's uh, sub-metering for cooling towers, which they consume Generally, especially down in the southern states, 30 to 50% of the water that a building uses, which is significant. And they uh, obviously use a lot of water in irrigation. And that's where a lot of smart water, if you want to get there, is, is being done. And also leak detection. So by using the common thread here, which are sensors and meters, uh, internet enabled or internet of things, IoT sensors, the data goes to the cloud. Now, my company, we don't even send our data to building management systems. We send it to a cloud-based system where storage is virtually unlimited. Processing is virtually unlimited. (laughs) And unfortunately, a lot of these buildings that have the building automation systems, they're still running systems that are stored in the building. And they have routines that are hard-coded. And so, of course, there's, there's no need for water since it's not a priority. So as it migrates to the cloud, I do see changes. And I do see that building owners and operators will start collecting water data because water prices don't fluctuate. They go up mm-hmm. every year. Energy prices sometimes go down. It's a, it's a period where it's down. But yet energy management is very tightly controlled and optimized. Water, there's a big opportunity. And um, at the moment, it's not a very crowded space. It's the perfect space to be in. <laughs> I think so. Glad to be here. Well, yeah, it's important that you mentioned that about storage and, and just access to that data. I think with more transparency becomes, I guess, less friction, uh, especially when you're managing a, a large property or a portfolio of properties, right? 
So, you know, there's different communication or lines of communications from different facility managers to say maybe VP or whoever they have to report to for some of that data and just making that process much easier for access and, and being able to see it probably at a more advanced level all at once, say maybe on a dashboard would be ideal. Very similar to maybe what some companies are trying to do for energy. Yes. Uh, because being able to see that in real time allows you to to handle and tackle those problems as they arise, as opposed to, as you mentioned before, you know, a month later, even maybe two or three months later, you see that there's a huge spike and you're being overcharged and, oh, it was because, you know, this valve was left on or, or some other some other issue. So uh, I think having that transparency is really important. It is. There's incidences. There's one in San Antonio that I remember that we went in and we collect baseline data. So we know historic operating conditions for cooling towers. They knew what they were paying. They had what's of uh, influent or makeup meter and blow down, which is discharge. Well, we use that data and normalized it and we can go in and, and increase the uh, water use so that that blowdown is less frequent because of scale prevention. So we, we not only measure it, but we have the ability to condition the water electronically so that we can raise the set point before the water discharges. So you use water a lot longer. But the point is this building had a normal usage, we thought, and we operated and found after a few months that we were saving a lot of money in the blowdown. But when we looked at their cooling tower setup, realized that, that there was overfill going on continuously in an area that, that was not visible. So once we identified that and fixed it, we saved them probably 300,000 gallons a month from you know what to them was normal on their water bill. They just weren't even aware that normal was losing water yeah. because well, it was in a difficult location to find. That's neat. And I think benchmarking is, is important as well. I mean, uh, I know there's some challenges around that for, you know, certain building types and again, being able to have access to that data. But it sounds like, you know, you, you guys and many others in the industry are, are trying to, to tackle that issue. So that's, that's important. We are. We are. We, we, you mentioned a dashboard. We have a graphical dashboard. You can see it on your phone or, or operate as you would want to see it as much as you want to, but it has alerts like a lot of the energy systems do so that we can catch leaks even uh, when they're early if we put on leak detection, but also manage the quality of the water and the makeup and blowdown meters will allow us to calculate evaporation credits, which are a, a big part of a water conservation program where there's a payback. Nice, nice. Well, you know, in addition to, you already mentioned condensate collection, what are some opportunities or are there any real opportunities? I know it's a little bit challenging here in Texas, but for rainwater harvesting, is that something that you guys work with on certain projects or? We're on projects that have rainwater harvesting. It's such a great idea because there's a, a way of, if, if I could go 10 years in the future and look back and the people will say, I can't believe you're doing this. Well, in my view, they're saying, I can't believe you were using drinking quality water to irrigate your land. Rainwater harvesting makes so much sense. It's delivered not always on time, but if, it, <laughs> if you capture it when it's there, and there's some really nice systems that are, are subterranean. You put them under parking lots or wherever you can put them because it's, it's more of a plan ahead design 
initiative uh, where it's cost effective that way. Retrofitting is more difficult, but rainwater harvesting is such a great idea. We don't do it as a company currently, but it's the sort of thing that the rainwater captured could be used in cooling towers as well. And it really gets down to water conservation also involves energy because anytime water is moved or heated, it's an energy factor. And so to store water somewhere and have to move it, there is an energy cost. But the cost of storing water and having that high quality water to put into the irrigation saves a tremendous amount of municipal water. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And there was a a great uh, presentation I went to a year or two ago that talked about the energy water nexus. Yes. uh, And how the interrelationship with energy and, you know, mainly pumping for water uh, especially for large distribution for long stretches and things of that nature, uh, even from a utility standpoint, uh, can add up pretty quickly. It really can. Anytime that energy is created, there's going to be water used. And anytime water is used, there's going to be energy used. So it's, it's quite a, a balance. And, and that's the major optimization. That's a, it's a regional challenge, of course, or local challenge. But another aspect that I'll mention as far as water savings and energy savings, our company has an electronic water conditioner that that will actually send a frequency through water lines. And so the water carries an energy signal, but it's not it's not anything but a frequency, but that offers enough energy to cause calcium particles if they're positive or if they're negative, they just get a little bit charged and when that happens, they bond. So it's as simple as causing calcium to become calcite in the water. So that if if scaling occurs, then the calcium is, instead of attaching to a surface, it's going to attach to microscopic crystals and just become a grain in the water that could be filtered out later. Well, the whole point of that, though, is by preventing scale, then the heat exchanger surfaces uh, don't have an insulating property from scale, so that by keeping the chiller tubes or the heat exchange surfaces clean, then the water's not pumped nearly as often because you have better heat exchange. And exactly. the setting on the AC unit, if it's 72 degrees, it doesn't have to work nearly as hard. Exactly. So Probably extending the life of that equipment as well. Very much. And reducing the maintenance events, the, the cleanings are much less frequent. And so with this approach, there's early stage magnets where it goes by the, the charge and it, and it works, but very limited pipe wraps, things like this. This is a system that I think is going to become much more commonplace where the energy frequency is generated throughout the water system. So we can measure it on the roof, in the basement. The signal goes throughout the water system. And by doing that, we're able to prevent scale and we reduce the chemical use by about 70%, maybe 75%, because cooling towers generally use scale prevention or scale inhibitors. Well, you don't really need it because we're not inhibiting scale anymore. And if you think about it, the whole game has changed in this way because instead of trying to hold back the scale and then purging water when it gets too concentrated, the calcium, Mm -hmm. we say, bring it on. Let's just crystallize it and keep the water going and keep it longer. So you blow down much less, much less frequently. And the point is we couple this with the sensors and meters and that becomes our water conservation as a service. So it's not so much a business plug for us. Others are starting to, to get into, into this also, but this is where we're opening the space and pushing it forward because I'm not against chemistry. 
but I don't think we need as much chemistry in this mindset as we did. It's just, it's become a factor where the chemical companies, I'm glad that they're there, but their model is they waste water so they don't get scale, then they purge and you add more chemistry and the cycle continues as it replenishes. They're not the bad guys. They're good, but they don't need as much chemistry in this new way of thinking because technology is advanced, as we know, considerably. We're just bringing some technologies together for a really beneficial purpose. In fact, where we go with water conservation as a service is instead of going to a capital budget, we can come in to a retrofit with no cost down, go with a monthly fee, and then guarantee in the larger buildings, in most buildings, that we'll save enough money in water, chemistry, and energy that will more than pay our our fee and we'll guarantee it. So where we are there is we're a no net cost water conservation service. And and there are others out doing similar things in other areas. We just decided to occupy the water space. Yeah, that, that's a smart plan. I mean, anytime that you can, as I mentioned before, reduce that friction for, you know, existing buildings, new buildings to come on board for something like this makes it that much easier. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's all like you guys are doing some, some really innovative things and having some great success. So I know we're going to talk about, you know, projects that are on, but I guess for some of the projects that you have worked on, do you work predominantly for or are on existing buildings and retrofits or do you, are you in the new construction space as well? Like kind of walk me through that process because I know I work in a lot of new construction projects. Sure. So trying to address some of these issues so early on, you know, to get them to kind of understand what makes sense and how it can be integrated into their project as opposed to retrofit. What does that look like? Well, historically we do retrofits because it's easier for us to go in and be adopted by companies that already have the problems and they realize they have scale, even though they have a chemistry program, et cetera. So we're installed. We're just starting where two years ago, there was a building in Austin where we were specified. We got the phone call. Hey, you know, we're following spec, give us an order. And then five or six companies called and we said, this is where we want to be. <laughs> but the phone doesn't ring that often or the emails don't come as much. And we really do want to get on the front end and not be a service per se. We, we would install or offer to install our product. And, um, it actually goes around a pipe without cutting or, or any kind of intrusion. So it, it actually wraps around because it's an antenna, really. If you yeah. can picture a link of chain links going around very dense, ferrite rings going around the pipe so it can be installed and um, we're talking to some of the pace program people because we're we're very good for that but it's again retrofit but we would very much like to be on the front end and we have a specification for that and we are actually much more popular uh, our the hydroflow product that we have is very popular in Europe and Hong Kong and uh, Southeast Asia Latin America but in Southeast Asia, it's very much a desirable product because instead of not just preventing scale with with uh, cooling towers, but going in where they don't want to have water softeners. Mm-hmm. So we cause scale prevention, which is what water softeners do, but we're able to do it a different way with much less of a, of a footprint. So they're getting specced in in Asia. So we're working on that. Wow. Okay. 
Oh, I didn't know that I had that much international influence, but I'm glad to hear that. So. Yeah, I, I think that, that actually we just got a, a uh, notice that our, our prices are, are fixed because of the manufacturing costs going down due to the high volume, because these are manufactured in the U.K., Mm-hmm. And uh, an interesting story of how this product got started because it's patented and 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 this, but it's it started as a a competition because British Gas in the UK supplied water heaters for all of their customers that had natural gas. It sounded like a great idea, except that they were in the water heater replacement business because of scale. So they put a contest out and said, whoever comes up with something that's non chemical, of course, because it's drinking right. and heating water, but Whoever can get this, you have our business. So mm-hmm. an inventor, uh, Dr. Stefanini is his name, entered his device into this contest and did very well, proved up, and now is the supplier for water heaters in homes and in, in businesses in the UK. But of course, they got into larger units, and that's where we come in because we don't work on residences. We're focused on commercial. But it's been a, a great success because it changes the mindset of what needs to be done for preventing scale and and process water. Yeah, well, I mean, I can see how a lot of this can, you, know, you can find synergies across different building types. And, you know, we talked about the IoT or Internet of Things and how that can be integrated into systems. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, you know, they just aren't using the BMS systems as they should for, yeah. for water management and data collection. But uh, with that, how do you see that helping aid the performance uh, or water performance in actually implementing the IOT and, you know, maybe give us an example of where you've used that on a project and where it made sense and feel free to, you know, talk about any of the challenges you had with, with buy-in as well. I know that's a challenge with it certain is, strategies, but. It is a challenge because without the sensors, they don't have proof and, and you mean you're going to put this on a pipe and it's going to make sure that my cooling system doesn't get scaled. That's a big bet, but we've never had it not work. And by putting on the sensors, there was a high level of comfort because we put it on their phone for them. But uh, one of our customers in Houston, it's a Fortune 100 a food distributor at Houston's headquarters. Uh, we've been there over three years and the facility manager was of course skeptical, but we uh, worked through that at the beginning and saved a tremendous amount of water and maintenance. And uh, fast forward three years plus, we had a uh, commissioning expert do a third-party test on that company's behalf to validate the cost savings. And we saved uh, probably $40,000 a year in water and, and about the same calculated in energy based on the scale that they had. And when they would do their cleanings, every six months to a year because of scale and their chemical program wasn't top notch at the time. And, and that happens, but they uh, discontinued the chemistry went with, with solid chemistry and reduced it, as I said, about 75%, but they went from doing periodic cleanings, like I mentioned to annual opening of the chillers and looking at the tubes and you can see the rifling in the tubes because the scale is not forming. So we were able to take that study and others and we do tours. And what they want to see is they want to look at it themselves. Mm-hmm. But once they start using the the dashboard, they really are, 
are very happy with it. We actually don't go through the corporate network. We stay clear of the IT folks because they don't really want us bolting into their network. So we do it outside of that with a mobile hotspot. And uh, it's an all-inclusive price for us, but we take care of the IT side of it and just give them the, the dashboard. And it's been very effective from conductivity goes from, say, 1,500 to 1,800 microsiemens for those that keep up with conductivity set points. But we can raise it from that all the way up to, say, 4,500. And when you do that, it doesn't blow down as much. The pH stays in a range uh, above 8, not quite 9, but it'll be in that range of, you know, 8.5, 8.6. But because of that environment of keeping it at that pH, the circulating water is less hospitable to pathogens. And I'm not saying we're the cure for Legionella, but with total bacteria counts, keeping them in the higher pH ranges is a lot less likely to have them. So there's a lot of benefits we've had. And uh, we're actually in the process of testing a sensor right now that tests for biologicals. And it's a biofilm sensor is what it is. It's out of Italy. And um, we're in early stages. But if we can do that, it's, it's another way to bring more value to the uh, building operators. There's a lot to do. We can do overfill uh, on cooling towers. We can do temperatures in boilers. We can do leak detection. Leak detection allows us to find leaks when it's a few drops. And uh, there's the wet-dry sensors, and then there's the volume, the flow meters. But we can, we can find leaks in early stages and let the AI do its, do its thing so that, that it can look for aberrations and abnormalities and, and do the analysis and let us know of potential problems. So there's a lot of sensors that can be added in the water space. Nice. And with that leak detection, I'm assuming you're able to pinpoint exactly where that is as opposed to, you know, just knowing that there is a leak. There is. Or a certain, you know, piping length or piping section or whatnot. We can. There's the, It can be more complex, and it could be as complex as people want, <laughs> but we can pinpoint it to the floor, or if we have two sets of sensors, we can get it more or less identified and where it is on a floor. And there are what they call wet-dry ropes, if you will. It's braided cable that you can lay down on a dry surface. And if it says that it's wet, it'll know where it's wet, and, and you can go from there. So a lot of these older buildings that have been retrofitted, um, getting the plumbing completely retrofitted is not always done. Yeah. And the leaks show up <laughs> with a vengeance. Yep. And, and so we're finding more more people asking about that uh, when we start talking about cooling towers. And so there's a, a lot of benefit. Of course, leak detection is only valuable if, if you prevent that massive leak that happens because those costs are, the ROI is great. Yeah. But a lot of times you have to have a leak to want to be able to uh, manage that. But some of the more savvy operators are going for that and, and adding more and more water sensors like they have done with, with energy. It's great. Well, I know we're talking about water, but taking a step back and, and thinking about the perspective of energy and it has somewhat of a relation if you're kind of thinking, if you're forward thinking and how the industry is changing or could, could be changing with respect to water as water costs rise, uh, scarcity, things of that nature. We see, you know, a lot happening in certain regions with drought. You know, Texas went through a pretty major drought a couple of years ago. We saw the, some of the effects with that, with water restrictions and things of that nature. But, you know, on the energy side, what's being done now 
uh, in very many cities and jurisdictions is they're starting to establish uh, energy benchmarking laws. Mm-hmm. And so more specifically in New York, um, they recently implemented the New York City benchmarking law uh, that required existing buildings to report their energy usage. And from that, there's an established score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that score is is made public, essentially, and people can see that. So, you know, you could have a building that has a B rating versus an A rating and so on and so forth. Obviously, the the it's like your grades in school, the better uh, score you have, the better energy efficient you are. And so do you foresee that something similar to that would be coming for water usage in certain cities or jurisdictions? Or are there already some some cities, maybe internationally, that are already kind of doing that? Well, it is happening. And where where New York also does have a water benchmarking, which I think is such a good idea because if you have a hotel and you measure against an office building, you don't get the apples to apples you need. But when you have hotel and hotel and match the square footage, I can say from personal experience, there may be 50% difference in how much water they consume. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and I don't think that water or energy conservation ought to be a strategic secret. I don't think it should be anything other than best practice sharing because it helps everyone and saving you know, operating cost is, is good for the owners, but ultimately it's reflected in the tenants' bills as well. Exactly. I do think that where uh, Dallas, for example, is ahead of the game, there's a, a really good uh, climate action planning program going on. They, of course, signed the Paris uh, Accords. And with that in the climate action plan, there is a water component. And I am part of, and I believe you are as well, the Dallas 2030 district. And it's a, it's a not-for-profit. It's run very, very well, even though it's volunteers, but it's run extremely well by uh, Salima Mulji, who has done a great job of bridging a partnership with the city of Dallas so that their uh, ICI group in Dallas actually is, is starting a water benchmarking initiative, the Dallas 2030 district and their water committee, which, it, again, it's not a very busy committee because I think I might be the only one on it. But what what is happening is we're putting together some benchmarking so that in the name, of course, the Dallas 2030, and there are about 25 other 2030 districts in the United States and Canada, but the 2030 indicates that by 2030, that energy and water and transportation, greenhouse gas emissions are going to be reduced by 50%. So 2030 is the goal for reducing by 50%. And in my area of water, Reducing by 50% water is a tall order, but it can be done. But you can't measure it unless you get a good baseline. Hmm. So the baseline is being done right now, and it will help by having by uh, the type of the building of operation. But it's really gallons per square foot is going to be the metric, and that's how we're looking at it. So uh, the the Dallas ICI group, which is industrial commercial. Group is their water. They have a very good water program for uh, assessment and rebates. And I'll give them a plug because a lot of times I've had people ask if we do water assessments and audits where they can save money in their building in Dallas. I tell them to go and and I'll connect them with the city of Dallas's program. Mm -hmm. They have this this wonderful survey come out. They look at it and they come back with a very detailed report with opportunities for rebates where there's no charge for the service. And there's a rebate program that, that they'll cover. 
So they're a great partner. They're a really good program. And so we fit in there because I bring them in as a benefit, of course, to customers and people I come in contact with. Oh, yeah. But then we can come in and, and offer our services as well because I'll give you an example where the building in Houston I mentioned, there's two cooling towers. They're both about a 1,000 tons each. It's uh, two large buildings. And they um, their consumption has been cut about 4 million gallons a year just for cooling towers. Now, a general building downtown, say Dallas, will save anywhere from two to five million gallons a year in fresh water and sewer, where uh, we have an installation going in right now that's a bit larger, manufacturer in Austin. Their facility is, it's about 1.3 or 4 million square feet under a single story. They have about 7,000 tons of cooling through our estimate. We're coming in and saving them, uh, rather than I'll rattle off the gallons we're saving, we're saving them about $10,000 a month in water and energy and chemistry. Well, then it starts to make sense. But when we come up with a benchmarking program like the city of Dallas is doing with the 2030 district support, I think that that, that is going to be very useful for water regional water planning for the commercial building side, because commercial buildings use a tremendous amount of water in the annual water use budget in the United States. And so the ability to understand what the benchmark values are and then be able to compare hotels to hotels, as I was saying, and see, well, where can I, where can I find the water savings? There's a great way to do it. Awesome. Well, you sort of alluded to involvement with, uh, Dallas 2030 district. What specifically have you been working on that's interesting in terms of some of those initiatives um, that you've been able to implement on a project? I know that they recently published or will be publishing uh, their annual report and and how they've been able to improve some of the metrics and things of that nature. And water is one of the, the huge orders or tasks they have to be able to drive change within the city. Um, and, and all this you know, is, is connected with not only the CCAPs uh, or the energy efficiency or the energy plan, yeah. climate action plan, I'm sorry, but even the uh, resiliency plan as well, because uh, all those are, 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 you can find synergy in. And I think that within that, there's a lot of different ways that not only on the existing building side, but that is obviously the, the larger uh, lion's share of gross square footage. Yes. Talk, talk about the building stock is existing buildings compared to new construction. But, you know, with the things that are going on with 2030 districts, how have you been able to kind of help influence that? And are you taking, I know you mentioned charge in one of the committees. Tell us a little bit about, about that. Well, the, the 2030 district in Dallas is using EPA's Energy Star portfolio manager to collect energy data, but there is all per building, but there is also a water section in that Energy Star portfolio manager and so part of what our water committee is doing is working with the building operators or owners, depending on, on the building, and helping them set up a program where we're collecting their usage data. We're putting it in there. We're going to be able to then have a good base of data where each building owner doesn't have to worry that they're going to get published uh, directly. It's, it's an aggregate score. But what's really good about that is with this baseline database that it should be coming out at the end of the year, I think, or, or beginning of uh, 2020, 
that uh, we're already collecting data. I think it's the second year of, of data that's been collected, if not the third, depending on, on who's contributed and how they've been keeping up. So, so the water committee is, has come in and I think had a good educational outreach where we'll go to individual building owners and offer lunch and learns and talk to them about what they're doing, how they're doing it. Some of the developers that are coming in and buying buildings, there's a developer in Dallas that bought two buildings back to back that uh, one is a hotel and the other is a uh, apartments. Mm-hmm. And they have adopted a lot of the practices that we can bring them willingly. They have taken the best practices and used them to their advantage during the redevelopment stage. And I think they're very happy. They're happy members because the membership, actually, if you're a building owner and operator, there's no charge to be a part of the 2030 district. So they get the shared learning and best practices. And some of the meetings are are really good because of the sharing that goes on uh, after a presentation or or what's been happening. But the Water Committee will go and help them with their water bill assessment and evaluation. Uh, we found some problems they didn't know they had. And so um, each building operator, they generally say the same thing. Well, we really haven't managed our water. And I'll go, yep, you're using your water bill as a water management tool. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. And so we're able to really bring them forward. Whether they use my company or not is fine, but it's it's really the part of the outreach. As I say, my my mission in life happens to be water, water conservation and better water use. So um, there's plenty of room to grow. But I think that the 2030 is a, a really professional organization. I'll also say the U.S. Green Building Council has done a good job in helping with with what they're doing. And I'm, I'm happy to be involved there. The 2030 district touches the building owners directly. And I, I find that they've done a great job. I wish I could quote the aggregate square feet that they manage, but I believe it's somewhere around 30 million square feet, if I'm not mistaken. It's up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's had a big impact. So from a water standpoint where people don't even think about water, that's a good platform to bring that to them. So it's, it keeps us busy. I'm actually from Fort Worth and I come to Dallas and help them save water more than I do in Fort Worth. <laughs> that may change. I don't know. True, I hope it true. does. Well, I mean, very similar to, to energy. And we know that regionally it does vary quite a bit because in some areas, you know, water costs are much higher than, you know, say Texas and things of that nature. And so I think it goes without saying when, and unfortunately we don't want people to, to wait until those costs do rise, because then you've lost out on, you know, you know, I don't know how, how it could be years of opportunity and savings that you could have achieved uh, by addressing some of those issues for the existing buildings. But just understanding that, you know, waiting until that happens to then rectify the issue is, is not ideal. So being proactive and especially for a lot of these new construction projects and, and Dallas is actually a really good example because you know you do have a lot of folks that are moving here from the East Coast, West Coast, and other areas. It's uh, it's largely a transplant city, mm-hmm. and so with that comes an increase in population and potentially more usage. But then also you have a lot of uh, building owners and facility managers that are like buying up properties, like you mentioned. So educating them on this kind of stuff, and even from a regional standpoint, because you know what happens here, you know, may very you know a little bit different than you know maybe what happens in New York or say. Minnesota and things of that nature. So it's really important to to have that education. I really love what Salima's doing along with her team with the uh, Dallas 23rd District and just creating that close niche 
group yeah. uh, and that, that cohesiveness to be able to share, you know, with, without any limitations in some, in some means to be able to share that data and best practices. Uh, Cause that's the only way I feel, you know, the industry is really going to start to gain more momentum and move forward is through that transparency. I agree. It is not a trade secret to save water or energy. <laughs> it should be a, a community initiative when water shortages do occur. And sometimes it's not just having water available, but a lot of this infrastructure is older and, and lines break and things happen. A lot of people say, well, it's a good thing I have a generator. Well, we don't have a a water storage <laughs> generator or anything. So it's better to, yes, to harden the infrastructure, but also to make sure your building is less dependent on water that is abundant. Yep. There's a, a good scarcity mindset. I think ideas and technologies allow for an abundance mindset, and I'm all about that. I really am. But with the technologies coming along, the ability to really dial down where the waste is, I think water has a huge amount of runway there. And it's interesting, I'll say that there are buildings where the facility management team has gone from eight down to three. And there's concern out there, I, I hear on the news, that technology is going to take people's jobs and things like this. But I've been in buildings where somebody will be assigned to go and take readings on the gauges at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And then they put it into a spreadsheet and then maybe they read it. I, I really don't know what they do with it. <laughs> but by giving them the data that they need, then they'll know where to address the problems and it's done 24-7. And so it doesn't take jobs away. It gives them the ability to do their jobs better at a higher level of thinking. And that's the abundance of technology that I think that is is available to us. And that's why I'm really excited to be in the technology side of water. Because it sounds like a low-tech business, but it's not. It's not, yeah. Well, I'm beginning to see that now. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, talking about all this water is definitely uh, making me thirsty. I don't know about you. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. And I uh, really enjoyed the, the talk and talk and discussing some of the strategies. I uh, look forward to having you back again, you know, maybe for another session at some point in the future. And, you know, what we'll do is we'll definitely share some of these diagrams. I know sometimes it may be a little bit challenging for people to conceptualize some of the concepts and provide that content for them so they can access that and have it for reference. Well, until next time, have a great week and uh, we'll see you again. Thanks for having me here. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 3P Theory with Mike Brown. If you like our show and want to know more, check out buildingiqpodcast.com or please leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Join us next time for more insightful knowledge on high-performance building design.